0: This show is supported by Silverbird, your business account for international trade. You're listening to Trading Places. In the final weeks of 2019, as billions of people waited for the new decade to begin, something unexpected was stirring. Reports of a strange new virus summer in China were emerging, but after a decade of similar stories many of us had become accustomed to hearing them and moving on as the story evaporated from the news seemingly taking the virus with it. But, as we were all to learn, what unfolded this time was different. And it would transform the way we think about an element so crucial to our health that until now most people never gave it a second thought. That element is oxygen.
1: I think it will be very difficult for any Indian to forget about it because, like, it is a big country, there's a lot of people, and I can't remember the last crisis that happened banned across the entire length and breadth of the country that was in, the entire country was gripped in fear.
0: Rohit Anani is a freelance economics journalist based in New Delhi who, like many across the world, witnessed the havoc of what we now know as COVID 19.
1: Calls would come at one o'clock, calls would come at three in the night. Can you arrange oxygen? Do you know somebody at this hospital? Can we get access to a bed? But I'm pretty sure that whatever that experience was, it would be similar globally.
0: We have a new name for the coronavirus. The World Health Organization has officially called it COVID-19. A SARS-like virus, which has infected hundreds in China, has now reached the United States.
2: India's coronavirus pandemic continues to worsen by the day.
0: Across China, disturbing videos on social media appear to show the extreme measures taken to control the outbreak. COVID-19 was declared a pandemic by the WHO in March 2020, and it has arguably changed the world forever. As it turned life upside down, business, both large and small, grappled with what doing business actually meant in the COVID era. But for this episode, we're not looking at the pandemic, but how it affected the medical oxygen industry, and how this crisis is teaching people to think about oxygen as a commodity, that can be bought and sold. The harrowing images of people gasping for air created a paradigm shift in how we perceive something we all take for granted. The simple act of breathing. India, as one of the worst hit regions in the world, suddenly found itself facing an acute lack of medical oxygen. But why? What happened in India is symbolic of an issue that plagued much of the world. And for this episode, we're going to use India as a template to think not only about the oxygen industry at large, but also how the way we think about oxygen has changed.
1: Let's uh, first try to understand uh, the structure of India's oxygen industry. And then we could come back and really answer this question, why happened what it happened? So... From 2015 till 2019, 18, till that time before we were faced with this crisis, 15% of India's annual production was devoted for medical oxygen use. Rest all of it was for industrial purposes. So why? Because uh, the industries where oxygen is primarily used in India is steel. Because India is one of the biggest producers and exporters of steel globally.
0: The oxygen industry was worth 27 billion US dollars in 2020 and can be broadly broken down into two segments, industrial and medical. Industrial oxygen is used everywhere, from space shuttle fuel to steelmaking. And for this reason, 2020 was in fact a slow year, as lockdowns closed factories and snarled up supply chains. Medical oxygen, despite the sudden surge in demand, still made up less than a fifth of the entire industry in 2020. But as in the case of India, COVID saw some industrial oxygen capacity press ganged into supporting the medical effort. So Rohit, when did India begin thinking about turning its industrial oxygen capacity to medical purposes?
1: Let's go back to the first wave, what happened? Because like even then there was a crisis, but it was not on the scale. The oxygen crisis during the second wave. But what happened at that time was the government was aware that there was a mismatch in supply and demand of oxygen. They temporarily, during the first wave, banned the diversion of oxygen for industrial purposes. But the crisis was not at this scale. So, what happened after the first wave ended was the government just uh, made a plan that let's do one thing, let's float the tender for setting up 162 new oxygen manufacturing plants. That was in October 2020. But what happened after that was this like collective, how should I put it? You know, the cases were really going down. It was the time when the cases were skyrocketing in the West and the US. So the politicians were conveying to the people that the crisis is over in India, right? We are beyond COVID. It's not gonna affect us and everything is fine.
0: And at what point did the supply and demand crunch really hit?
1: So what happened with this plan of setting up 162 new oxygen plants was the bureaucrats and uh, tendering in the bidding process. They were very lax with it. And at the end, it was found that they had just set up 33 new plants. And uh, then came April. And the second wave was uh, really, really spreading too fast. And the cases were doubling, tripling every week, every three weeks, and that was the point where they realised that there was a huge mismatch between supply and demand.
0: As COVID spread across the world at an alarming rate, governments scrambled to increase their medical oxygen capacity to make up for the shortfall. And as logical as this sounds, it was only, as would learn, part of the solution. This is where logistics enters the story.
1: Then there was another crisis, which was the supply. You manufacture oxygen, that's fine. The government thought that that was the biggest challenge that was before us, that, you know, we are faced with a crisis, so let's just, like, ramp up oxygen production, and everything's going to be fine. But only then they realised that... uh, It was not the only crisis. There was another crisis which was the supply chain, the logistical nightmare. And all of a sudden, like within a matter of a week or two, they were faced with this uh, problem wherein they were required to use the same supply chain infrastructure and then supply oxygen 10 to 12 times of the normal demand to not just like one place, but like 20, 25 different states of this country.
0: Getting oxygen from A to B Highlighted the logistical shortfall that many countries encountered. India, with its vast landmass coupled with a huge population, would come to bear the brunt of these logistical bottlenecks. Something that became glaringly apparent in May of 2021, when the need for medical oxygen exponentially increased.
1: So, in May, the demand went up from about 4,000 to about 9,000 metric tons. Ramping up production to that level was, was not the biggest task. not was the most difficult task. The problem was how do you take that oxygen to patients in hospitals? It's a very complex challenge. So how do you do it? And now the problem with oxygen is it's not like any other commodity that you produce. and Then you quickly ramp up supply chain and you're there. Oxygen is produced in liquefied form in industry. It's a very hazardous uh, uh, substance. So you can't transport it normally. You need like special containers, which are called cryogenic containers. And uh, the production of cryogenic containers uh, is very difficult, they are very expensive. And now we come to the second problem, which was India's 1,200 cryogenic containers, which was very low and which is not at all sufficient to supply the skyrocketing. And so now this is the biggest problem.
0: and next played out across our screens globally.
1: Every bed on this ward has someone suffering from COVID-19 and these are the less seriously ill, yet they still require 24-hour care seven days a week. Unfortunately, in the face of a crisis, the virus is choosing too much of our future right now. But obviously I don't believe in vaccines and pills and stuff like that in general.
0: Don't believe in vaccines? No. No, Of course you do, don't be ridiculous. In an age of instantaneous media, the world got to see what not having oxygen looked like in all its grisly detail. And it could be argued that this perceived lack of oxygen and the fear of being next contributed to a change of perception about oxygen's real dollar value too.
1: So this behavioural change hasn't happened overnight. It was a very gradual understanding among a lot of people who were, of course, were witnesses of the crisis, they saw what was happening. They saw the panic of uh, what happens when there's a crunch in oxygen and how important it is. So, from just taking the idea of oxygen as something uh, that is essential or that is something only uh, required by, say, people who have uh, terminal illness or, say, severe asthmatic uh, patients, I think there has been an understanding among a lot of people after they were coming out of this crisis that. They've started treating oxygen as an essential medicine. If not all, then like a lot of them. So yeah, there's been a lot of demand for oxygen cans. There's been a lot of demand for oxygen concentrators. That market has seen a considerable increase compared to what it was, say, pre-COVID. Right. The volumes are low, but still, there's been a lot of demand. There has been a behavioral change. People are talking up oxygen concentrators at home now.
0: Crunches in oxygen supply combined with the fear of the unknown did indeed have a huge effect on another kind of oxygen industry, the supplemental oxygen market which covers an array of products. The market for cheaply made concentrators boomed across the world in 2020 but the business opportunities associated with supplemental oxygen were already making inroads well before the pandemic. In the heart of Delhi's main airport is an oxygen bar, run by Ariver Kumar and his associates. They set up the business in 2019, having been inspired when traveling in the US.
2: I was in Vegas and we were just like roaming around and we saw uh, these oxygen bars like popped up everywhere. So I just thought that, you know, why not um, have something like this in India? Because, you know, India is an evolving market and uh, people are willing to try something new.
0: And what was the reception like when you opened your oxygen bar?
2: The initial two to three months, we were in a gray area. We didn't exactly know how it's going to like perform and if it's even going to work and things like that, because it's a very new concept for India, you know, to to go to an oxygen bar. Yes, initially it was like a little hard. It was difficult to explain to people what it was, how it works, what are the benefits and things like that, because it's a very new concept for India, you know, to to go to an oxygen bar. But then slowly, you know, we we kind of got some Instagram influencers and bloggers involved and we kind of spread awareness about the concept and where it's at and things like that. And then it kind of uh, picked up significantly uh, because it turned out to be a very fun concept and uh, a place to go to just just chill and have a relaxing time.
0: So when you say picked up, what sort of numbers are we talking about?
2: Given the fact that we were getting the decent traction, I would say, like ranging from fifty to yeah seventy people a day.
0: Do you remember how you felt that first time in Las Vegas when you tried it?
2: How did it? How did it feel in your body? You know, I know that this is not to cure any medical disease or for any medical illnesses and things like that. This is more of a recreational and fun sort of a concept, like going to a spa for relaxation. So we just tried it. I, I felt energized. I felt stress free we had some different essential oils that were in the oxygen bar, like eucalyptus, which helped with like sinuses, and cinnamon, which helped with like energy and things like that. So yeah, it's like an overall feeling of relaxation and well-being. So I just thought that it it would be fun to do something here.
0: And how do people take the oxygen in your bar? Do you just go into a room and you flush it full of oxygen or do you use canisters? How do they do that?
2: So we have these machines called oxygen concentrators. What they do is that they purify the air around you into oxygen. And then we uh, connect that to like a nasal tube, which we put around your head and you just uh, inhale it.
0: Are there local companies starting to produce these concentrators?
2: Yeah, since there was a shortage of oxygen, I would say pharma companies have seen huge potential uh, in terms of business in this uh, sort of a field. So yes, a lot of people have started importing oxygen concentrators, producing their own oxygen concentrators. There's been a huge supply and let's say manufacturing happening within India.
0: Various news outlets were quick to showcase the growing trend of oxygen bars and supplemental products prior to the pandemic as ways to combat rising air pollution, particularly in emerging economies like India, where the air outside can be deadly. When it comes to some of these products, journalists like Rohit were sceptical about their widespread application, deeming them out of reach for much of the population and only serving a niche. However, when it comes to cheap and available portable oxygen products, he is seeing the emergence of a brand new government-backed sector.
1: So the first shift that you know, like people in this country started thinking of oxygen or clean air. Let's just stick to clean air for the moment. Clean air is something that is an essential uh, part of life after the pollution crisis. Uh, skyrocketed in Delhi and uh, other cities and that was the first time it held the imagination of a lot of people that yes, maybe it's needed maybe because there was a huge growth in the market for air purifiers. But now with COVID-19 crisis and the oxygen crisis and whatever damage it did There is unsaid distrust in the government, not in terms of political distrust per se, but it's just like they don't trust the government to deliver the emergency services when they need them because they saw what happened, the entire panic and black marketing and complete supply crunch and how it affected, if not them, their friends and maybe their relatives. So that distrust coupled with this uh, realization of oxygen as an essential medicine, this is what leading people to stock up on, say, oxygen cans or stock up on a lot of oxygen concentrators. So there would be a third wave, and I'm pretty sure that whenever it comes, the government is much, much better prepared than it was during the second wave. Even then, just the idea that, you know, like another wave would come, so it would just, like, force people to stock up on these oxygen concentrators. Maybe some would stock up on portable mini oxygen cylinders at home. They have already started doing it. So, yeah. It, it is because now people really think of oxygen not just something, you know, like we breathe or that's what keeps us alive or it's just there and it's used in the industrial purposes. So that is what is forcing growth of this market of oxygen. Content and it's there to stay. I mean, till the time this COVID, yeah, the people will start stocking up.
0: Like India, the US took a hard hit from COVID-19 And the knock-on effects were seen everywhere, from panic buying of essentials to people investing in products that they hoped might help should they become sick. Like Rohit said, oxygen was starting to be considered an essential medicine in the eyes of many people for the first time. As the world started perceiving oxygen in a different way, companies that made supplemental oxygen products found themselves in brand new territory.
3: Our founder and CEO started Boost Oxygen in 2007. Uh, He'd previously been a beer importer, and in his travels around Central Europe, he noticed hikers and other people using canned oxygen. And so he thought this could really take off in the Rocky Mountains and around Denver and Colorado, especially in places like Breckenridge and Aspen.
0: Mike Grill is the e-commerce and digital marketing manager of Boost Oxygen. A Connecticut-based supplemental oxygen provider that has seen huge growth. For Boost, COVID had a substantial effect on their business, one which resulted in lasting changes.
3: So when COVID hit, there wasn't necessarily a specific use that we could point to and say, this is why people are buying Boost. I think it fell into several different categories, being peace of mind for people who were quarantined and didn't know when they could get to their doctor. To being a, a recovery tool for people who were you know, now stuck inside or trying to recover from any number of illnesses, to being something that even you know, people who are preparing for the worst are, are stocking up on, just because you don't know what's going to happen.
0: Do you think there's been a perception change of the value of the commodification of oxygen? from something that you don't think about to something that I might need to go out and buy it?
3: Probably, to some extent. But I also think that there are lots and lots of other factors that go into that as well. I think air quality plays a huge part in that similarly, where you have, especially in the US, uh, the last couple of years, we've had terrible fire seasons. So when somebody on the East Coast is Smelling smoke and dealing with the smoke that fires on the west coast have generated, air quality is very much top of mind. So yeah, and I think with the kind of older demographic, there is kind of an automatic knowledge of like, okay, oxygen, this is going to be good for me. It's not going to be harmful. It's more readily accepted.
0: The perception that breathing high-concentration oxygen has health benefits is not new. After all, if breathing regular oxygen keeps you alive, surely breathing more oxygen is even better for you. Claims of better sleep, improved sports performance, and even a hangover cure are made about high concentration of personal oxygen. There is little research that bears out any of these claims. But in a world where the worried well are seeking every health edge they can, a lack of hard evidence isn't stopping people believing that a small hit of near pure oxygen will give them the buzz they need to get through the day. Add into that mix a virus that throttled sufferers' very ability to breathe, and you have an industry ready to fly. So talk me through when COVID was really starting to impact the US. What did this mean for boost in business terms?
3: We essentially sold through all of our inventory, which is usually three to six months worth of inventory in three days. And since then, we've been meeting demand, and it just keeps going upwards.
0: That sounds like a lot of demand. Do you have a lot of competitors in this market?
3: We have between three and four competitors domestically, with only one of them being serious. But we do have between 95 and 97% market share. I think we're in 50 different countries right now, so we are the industry leader. By a large margin. But in the last couple months, we've seen a couple more mounted efforts from some of our competitors, especially on Amazon, since the start of COVID. Um, it's a pretty difficult market to just step into. <laughs> and there are a lot of rules and regulations that are make it really hard to just can oxygen, essentially.
0: I'm trying to imagine, how do you go about making canned oxygen?
3: So we get our oxygen from a gas company called Airgas. They do uh, all sorts of uh, different compressed gases, including welding oxygen and aviators breathing oxygen, which is what boost oxygen is. So we get it in essentially large tanks and put it in smaller cans on an assembly line where we then seal a valve and snap a mask on top. We then hermetically seal it to make sure that there there isn't anything coming into contact with the mask before the consumer buys it.
0: I believe you used to hire contract fillers to do your canning, but now you do it yourself. Is that right?
3: We started filling our own cans in, I believe, May of this year. And it's always been uh, part of the plan is to uh, fill our own cans. It gives us uh, not only more control of our production, but it also gives us um, the ability to kind of do a bit more. Um, so we've started white labeling cans for large events or um, people's weddings at altitude.
0: What sort of regulations do you need to comply with in order to sell it into other countries?
3: It all depends on the country. So we have different registrations in several different countries, kind of FDA equivalent. Registrations where we're maybe a monitored product, I guess, just because it's a... Oxygen isn't necessarily a controlled substance, but it's a, I guess I would say, a monitored substance because supplemental oxygen is still a relatively new category, whereas medical oxygen has a long history.
0: Is this a protected market, or because of the growth over the last year, are there innovations coming that will change it? And if so, what kinds of innovations?
3: I mean, every market is protected until it isn't um, <laughs> it's it only takes one person to figure out how to do it but i think there are there are plenty of innovations that are coming in i believe last year one of the bigger tech companies showed a concept for a pen size oxygen concentrator so something like that would be incredible where people who are on medical oxygen or have to carry around an oxygen concentrator which is the size of and weight of like several bricks if you can just use something that's the size of a pen that would be huge and it's absolutely something that could disrupt the supplemental oxygen market yeah
0: health and wellness were already a preoccupation for the world's middle classes before the pandemic started but today that concept now extends to the quality of the oxygen going into our bodies too. Rising air pollution, and then the horrifying reality of a virus that literally stopped people from being able to breathe, has forced many to look inward and question a lot of what they may have taken for granted about oxygen. If the numbers are to be believed, the medical and supplemental wellness oxygen industry seems to be one that has an upward growth trajectory. Because not only is it truly essential to life, the problems that are triggering rising demand only seem to be increasing. Thanks for listening today. I'm Rachel Williamson and you've been listening to Trading Places.